0: Hello and welcome back to the Skyrim audio adventure. Not gonna waste any time here, just gonna get right back into it with part two of chapter nine, From Iron to Gold. She was a fine specimen, and she knew it, she flaunted it, and she used it to her advantage wherever she could. If the Mary Dominion had taught the Empire anything, it was how to carry yourself with superiority. And so, this auburn-haired Imperial beauty strutted about town like a haughty princess. She'd married a rich man, and was gaining contacts by the day. She wore her success and wealth on her person for everyone to see. A jeweled necklace rested against her bodice, framed by a silken shawl from the lands to the west. Her bond of matrimony was accompanied by a genuine emerald-crusted ring crafted by an actual Saxleal jeweler, and a proud Nordic band of silver and garnet given to her by her husband's oafish father. However, the exhibit she was the most proud of was a unique set of dainty rings she wore in a stack on her right middle finger. They were of thin, elvish make, and as such, she could stack them with little trouble if she slightly rotated each. The result was a pleasing swirl of sparkling gems around the digit. There were five rings in total, so small and delicate they were that she could whirl them around her finger without losing any dexterity. Not that she needed it. It was just another reflection of her quality. She slept late that morning, as was her privilege and flung open her window to a cool breeze devoid of the dawn's nip. She wished that she had a room overlooking the lake, but that would come with time. For now, her view of the multicolored aspen forest was enough for her. She breathed in the fresh air and set about her morning, arranging her fine but sturdy green dress, washing her luxurious hair. Her skin was pearlescent, further proof of her good breeding. As she sat brushing her hair in the mirror, something terrible nearly stopped her heart. In the mirror, she spotted movement behind her, near the small table where she staged her jewelry. Starting at the brief disturbance, she spun around, staring intently at the table and the surrounding jumble of silks and furs. She instinctively covered herself and chanced a cautious, ''Hello?'' Just then, a small furry something erupted from the clutter and bolted out the open window. It was gone before the surprised shriek left her lips. She cried and screamed for nearly a minute after the room fell still. Partly due to her own shock and fright, partly due to the chance that there was another overgrown possum somewhere in the room. She didn't stop until her maid rushed in and calmed her down. Then, another possibility occurred to her something even more terrible than the prospect of ill-tempered martins of outstanding proportion she brushed off the fawning maid and rushed over to her precious jewelry it all seemed there at a glance then she came to her set of five rings one two three four and no five the fifth was missing one of her favorite rings had been stolen by that repugnant thing in a fevered panic she looked under the table all around it, even under the jewel boxes themselves. She was slowly slipping into a fit of hysteric when, with a sigh of utter relief, she spotted the missing ring hanging on her earring rack. She must have placed it there in some fleeting moment of whimsy and forgotten. She plucked it off, still simpering like a worried mother, and returned it to the others, content and secure once again. So secure was she that she didn't notice until nearly a month later that the silver and garnet ring her father-in-law had given her was missing. The shopkeeper was a big man, muscle-bound and broad, with a proud, braided moustache and shorn head. He was a confident dealer, and with good reason. He'd set up shop with the money he'd made from years of bloody work as a mercenary bodyguard, and his reputation for ruthless efficiency ensured that the bartering process never reached any unpleasant conclusions. He wore a soft, flaxen shirt, fashionably ill-fitting as to show off his bulging arms. Like a beast he was, confident and ready to protect his cave. As such, he had absolutely nothing to worry about when two unfamiliar wayfish figures stepped into his shop just before noon. Good day, he said, closing his book, sweeping his mild surprise away with a welcoming smile. What can the bear of bargain do for you, young lads? The pair were an odd couple. One was a boy with dark, tousled hair and skin light brown like a pale tea. He was clothed in linen rags, bare, blackened feet, and a vest that appeared to be burlap. The man had to shudder at the hellish prospect of wearing the scratchy material as a garment. However, the boy's companion was even stranger. About a head shorter, This person was wrapped entirely in an oversized robe, such that no part of their body was showing. Everything was folds and shadow. From deep in that dark hood, the merchant felt eyes staring at him. Hello, chirped the filthy boy, taking the time to wipe his calloused feet on the doormat, producing a terrible scraping noise that made the man's eye twitch. Would you, perchance, be perhaps interested in possibly purchasing a piece of fine-jeweled jewelry of fine make? The shopkeeper raised an eyebrow at the redundant mess of language. Did he think it made him sound nobler than his obvious station? Whatever the case, jewelry had value regardless of its origin, so the merchant leaned over the counter towards the thin waif. I suppose I would be. Let us see this jeweled jewelry, then. The boy reached into a ragged pocket, and presented a silver ring with a simple red crystal set into it. For a moment, the man's heart raced, thinking that a ruby had just fallen into his lap. But, as he picked it up and inspected it by the shaft of light coming in through his round window, he saw that rather than the bright, clean fire of a ruby, the gem was a darker, duller red with a myriad of fractals that complicated the shine. This was a garnet. Not quite as valuable as a ruby, but still a very nice gem. He could not say as much for the silver band. It was a sturdy Nordic make with the motif of a sea serpent coiling around the jewel. But it was clear that it was not very well cared for. It was riddled with scratches and minute marrings that showed up in the light. The shopkeeper pinched and twirled one of his mustache braids as he thought. Tell me. He began. How did you come by this ring? Family heirloom. It's all I have left of my parents, and I've held onto it for as long as I could, but as you can probably tell by looking at me, times have been hard, and I just need the coin. Hmm. The merchant nodded, looking back at the ring. It was good craftsmanship, but the condition left a lot to be desired. Seemed like it'd be hard enough to give away, let alone turn around and sell for profit. Still, the gem was decent, and the boy could clearly use the coin. Tell you what, I can give you four gold for this. The boy appeared ever so slightly crestfallen. You can't do five? He asked, hopefully. Don't be daft, son. Four is plenty. After a moment of solemn consideration, the boy met his eyes and nodded. Okay, I'll take it. Very well. The merchant pulled open a drawer and fetched out four bright gold imperial septums. The gold gleamed in the boy's wide eyes. The man suspected that he'd never seen so much money in his life. Eagerly, he reached up and swept the gold into his hands. He and his shrouded compatriot leaned over the gold for a moment just looking at it. Then with a slow tilt of the head, The boy placed the coins back on the counter. What's wrong? The shopkeeper asked. Did you decide you want the ring back? No, it's just that I can't imagine spending gold very often. You want smaller coins? Yeah. Is that too much to ask? Not at all. What do you want, imperial silver? Um, let's say half and half. Half silver and half copper. The merchant quirked an eyebrow at the boy are you sure yes all right the man meticulously dished out 10 imperial silver coins and 80 common coppers the boy turned to the pile of rags fritz do you still have that pouch the shape wriggled like a marsh patty for a moment then a short arm produced a small drawstring pouch the boy took it and stowed the silver into it however as he began stuffing the bag with the coppers It became clear to everyone there that the pouch was too small to hold 80 copper coins. The man could practically see the wheels turning in the young man's head. Eventually he dumped out the pouch and repacked the 10 silver. I feel like you were ahead of me there. I'll just take 10 more silver. Good plan, the man said placing 10 more imperial silvers on the counter. The boy took them and the man swept the copper back over to him and started counting them into little stacks. After a moment, he went still. With such sharp suddenness, the two young ones froze as well. Tell me, boy. Why am I five copper short? He asked, letting the faintest hint of malice seep into his voice. He was pleased to see the boy fold immediately under his gaze. What? He yelped in a panicked tenor and started feeling his pockets. Are you trying to pull something over on me? The man leaned in to great effect. No, no, I wouldn't. The boy looked like he was about to wet himself before he dropped down below the counter. Here! Here they are! I just dropped them, that's all! The shopkeeper leaned back, suppressing a laugh. Sure enough, the frightened boy came up with the missing five coppers and added them to the count. I'm so sorry. In fact, let's forget the whole exchange. He babbled, emptying the ten silver from his pouch onto the counter and pushing them across to sit next to the eighty copper. I'll just take the four gold. The man swept his non-existent hair back, feeling a tad guilty at how he'd frightened the boy. No harm done, no harm done. It's all fine by me. He pushed the four gold back over to the lad and offered a friendly smile as the waif stowed them away. The boy turned then to the rumpled cloak next to him. Did you have anything you wanted to pawn? The hood appeared to nod as they fumbled in their belt and held out a nice, clean, wooden sword and a quill. The sword was of the simple make popular among children of that age, and the quill was a bright green iridescent pheasant feather. The shopkeeper tilted his head and examined the quill. Where did you get this? The hooded one seemed to shuffle its feet bashfully and the boy gestured for the man to lean in close. He did so. The truth is we found it on the street. We think it fell out of a window. It's really nice, right? Very nice, the man agreed. It's practically brand new. Did you not think they would miss it? The pair looked at each other sheepishly. Well, no, the boy said. Mm, you might be right. Still I could report you to the guards for this. For a quill? It's a very nice quill, remember that?" The shopkeeper waved the feather with what he hoped was a disarming smirk. Seeing that the two weren't running, he twirled his mustache in thought and held up the sword and the quill. He had plenty of both of these already, but they were very easy to turn around in his experience. How does five copper for the sword and two silver for the quill sound? Nordic silver? The boy asked hopefully. The man narrowed his eyes at the waif's apparent knowledge of the more valuable currency. No. Imperial silver. The boy shrugged. We'll take it. The shopkeeper slid the coins over to the pair, thanked them, and saw them out of his shop. And so ended one barter in a day of dozens. It wasn't till the end of the day, when he went to put the new quill and sword with the rest of their like items in the shop, that he realized For some reason, he had the same number as when he'd started that day. And it wasn't till a week later that it occurred to him that there might have been something fishy about that whole coin exchange. The Apprentice was a dark-skinned Redguard who was currently struggling with a bad case of adolescent acne. An unfortunate ailment for any hot-blooded teenager looking for love, however, despite his own lack of success in the field, he was still fascinated by the Bond's truest steel that could form regardless of circumstance or background. It was for that reason he became an acolyte to the Goddess of Love and Mercy. The temple stood in stark opposition to the city of sin around it, but in the short time since he'd taken his vow, he'd seen the flowers of love blooming even here in this dreary place. That said, the scrupulous behavior he saw on a daily basis did chafe at his heart, and one day, he just had to step in. He was walking through the gently-packed market in the mid-afternoon, buying carrots and onions for a large stew to be distributed amongst the city's homeless. He was just crossing one of the many bridges in the square, trying to ignore the stench of waste and fish guts wafting up from the deep aqueducts that wound through the city's lower layer, when he saw, in an unassuming corner of the market, two small figures sitting on either side of a crate. They seemed to be playing some kind of game, moving tiny objects around on the rough wood top of the crate. But then, the apprentice spotted the telltale flash of coin, and realized with bitter surety that the two children were gambling. He thought he might be sick. He'd seen some bad things here, but this... this needed to stop. He walked over to the pair and saw that they had a set of three walnut shells and were moving them around chaotically. A boy with dark eyes and rags for clothes was doing the moving. After a moment, he returned the shells to a neat line of three. At that point, a bizarre child so concealed in an oversized robe that not one defining feature could be distinguished pointed at one of the shells. The boy lifted the shell, revealing a single uncooked bean, and promptly slid two silver over to the hooded one. Then, they each put one silver down, and the bean disappeared back beneath the shell, and the raggedy boy began dancing the shells around again. It was clearly to confuse the hooded one's eyes, but the apprentice could easily track the shell that had the bean as it moved. Right to center, center to left, and back, followed by a blur of motion that, while impressive, did not manage to deceive. Then, to his surprise, when the shells came to a halt, the hooded one pointed at the wrong shell. The dance had not been enough to fool the apprentice from where he stood, but clearly it was enough to fool the child in robes. Incensed as this young stray was made to hand over his silver, the acolyte stepped in. What are you doing, child? Why make fruitless your good efforts in this way? The hooded figure didn't appear to take notice, and placed another silver down on the crate. The boy matched it, and the shells danced away. Child, please heed my words. Do you need something, holy man? The boy interjected, not taking his eyes off the shells as he shuffled. I need you to cease with this shameful exploitation. Shameful? The boy spared him a brief glance of heavily-lidded contempt. What's so shameful about an innocent game? It's not innocent when there's money involved. You're taking this child's meager fortune. What can be more shameful than that? Nonsense! If anything, he's clearing me out of my coin. Choose. The shells settled, and the hooded child pointed to the one on the left. The boy lifted the shell to reveal the bean. Case and point, the boy said as the hooded one took the pot. The acolyte swallowed, looking for a new approach. Then it is wrong for you to waste your wealth in that case. Why not? Because it's a sin. For your gods, perhaps. Redguard could feel his face flush with indignation. Regardless of what god you ally yourselves with, please at least concede that it is foolish to bet on such a simple game. A sharp mind and a keen eye could take all you have in one sitting. Is that so? Yes, in fact, I could clean you out right here and now if I wished. Is that a bet, holy man? No. And I will not be taking from the poor, either. The Goddess of Mercy smiles on you. This would be a lesson, nothing more. Then please, have a seat, the boy said, gesturing to the empty space across from him. The apprentice looked to see that the hooded child had moved and was now watching him in a manner the priest interpreted as expectant. Adjusting his apprentice robes, the acolyte set his produce aside and sat down. Smiling like a fox, the boy reset the shells and placed the bean before them. Welcome to the game. It's a simple game. You put down a silver and try to find the bean. The bean can be anywhere under these shells. You got a silver? Of course. I'll only need the one. The boy whistled. They must be teaching a lot of self-esteem in that temple these days. Alright, place your silver in the... non-existent pot? The apprentice did so. Bean, the boy said, showing the bean briefly before covering it and beginning the shuffle. The acolyte calmly tracked the shell that covered the bean. It started in the middle, then right, middle, left, middle, left, left, middle, right. The chaos concluded with a final flurry of motion, but it was clear to the apprentice that the bean was under the right-hand shell. Sure enough, when the boy lifted the shell, the bean was sitting there all dry and spotted as ever. Well done, the boy said, pushing the two silver over. The apprentice didn't respond, only set one silver down and waited for the boy to match it. He did so, and the apprentice found the bean again, and again, and again. With these victories, the apprentice grew bored. Look, is there any way we could speed this along? Well, you can always up the pot if you think you can keep up. I've already proven that I can keep up. But I said I'd clean you out, even if only for a moment. And that's what I'll do. Have it your way, the boy shrugged before checking his pockets. That'll be two gold and four silver if you want to clean me out in one round. The apprentice reached into his robes and put down most of the money he'd been given to procure ingredients. Then let's get this over with. I must continue with my duties. You must, huh? Okay. The boy set up the game and began the shuffle. The acolyte watched calmly but intensely as he had before, and aside from a small increase in speed, he noticed nothing different about this shuffle. The bean-bearing shell eventually came to rest in the center, And with supreme confidence, the apprentice pointed to it. Really? The boy said with a raise of the eyebrows. Yes. Are you sure? The boy pressed, apparently worried he'd not been swift enough. Yes. He repeated firmly. Sorry to say, my friend, but you just lost a lot of money. The boy turned over the shell to show naught but the water-worn wood of the crate beneath it. The apprentice blinked, unable to process for a moment. The boy turned over the other shells, revealing the bean sitting to the right. No, No. The apprentice struggled to speak. That's wrong. That's wrong. No, that's a bean. And this is my money now. The boy quipped, scooping up the coins with some effort. No! The apprentice repeated, clamoring to his feet. This is devilry of some kind. I assure you it's nothing like it. Perhaps your eyes are just slower than you thought. Give me my gold back. I said that if I won, the money would stay with you, remember? I do remember you saying that, but I don't recall agreeing to it or saying the same myself. Please! Oh, come now, priest. I thought the church was all for giving to urchins like us. I'm not a priest. I'm an apprentice. Well, that makes sense. Maybe the gods would have been on your side if you were. Why, you little... Listen, if you're not going to play another round, would you mind moving along? You're holding up the line. The acolyte's eyes widened, and he spun around to find that as the game had gone on, they had attracted quite the little crowd. At least 20 people were watching intently, mostly men, a few women, and adolescents like himself. He could tell that a few of them were already thumbing their coins, brows furrowed, eager to step in and solve this potentially lucrative puzzle limbs shaking with adrenaline and shame the apprentice scooped up what produce he had managed to buy and scurried back to the temple it was several years before he felt comfortable confronting sinners and their devious ways again The boy shot a surreptitious wink to Zack as he fooled another gambler. The holy man had been a great goat. Since he'd left, the shells had hardly stood still, as one after another the gullible came, some winning money, but most losing money. Some had already won, but kept betting their winnings till they were all gone. The sun had dropped down below the building and twilight was fast approaching. The crowd had diminished to a slow trickle of brave fools, And with that last man swindled, the boy was content to conclude the day's work. He'd gone from empty pockets to the rough equivalent of 11 gold over the course of a day. This plan had gone incredibly well. There had been so many moments when it could have been derailed, and it nearly had been. Even though five gold was no small amount of money, the boy felt he was right on the cusp of getting all his friends out of that dreadful orphanage and out of this dreary city. He just needed five more gold. Evenin' lad, came a smooth voice and the boy looked up in the middle of gathering his shells to see a young man looking to be in his mid-twenties with short bright red hair and the dusting of goatee. He was wearing a warm woolen coat over a flax shirt with a strange pendant resting on his chest. Think you've got time for one more game? The boy gave a wry smile. Sorry friend, but that's all for today. The man nodded, understanding. That's quite the haul for someone your age, I'll give you that. But what if I offered you a chance to double it? The boy and Zack exchanged a quick glance. I would be a fool to take that chance. Are you sure? The man slowly and deliberately placed a stack of twelve gold septums in front of them. It's an honest wager. The boy's eyes grew huge at the sight of the coins, and he knew his feline companion's eyes were doing the same. Still, something was off about this. And he was made sure of that when the man's calm eyes narrowed as he watched them, and he removed one coin from the top of the stack. Sorry, my guess was off by a bit. How do you know how much would be double? How do you know how much we have? The man grinned, clearly pleased with himself. It's all about sizing up your mark, lad. That's the first rule of the game. Of course you'd know that if you were really a player. Well, as impressive as that is... I still think I'll have to pass. We really must be going." The man looked off towards the marketplace to the two guards in purple sashes leaning against the rail. And what if I decided to tell the guards about this furry friend of yours? The boy looked to Zack, whose eyes were lighting pale blue fires on the man's face. Unlike Grelod, this man had nothing to lose by turning him in. What's more, he could call the guards right now. Those are some sharp eyes, friend. Careful they don't cut anyone. The man smiled and pushed his stack of gold closer to the boy. Lay out the shells. Let's play. The boy breathed out heavily through his nose as he fought a wave of impotent rage. He reached for his coin pouch. Zack grabbed his arm and shook his head. You don't need to. We can run. I don't think that makes a difference, the boy said, shrugging him off and emptying the coins onto the crate. Besides, You shouldn't have to. He counted out the equivalent of 11 gold, leaving him with a comparatively skinned two silvers and five coppers. Trying not to grind his teeth in agitation, he obediently set the game, flashed the bean, and began. He wasn't playing around anymore. He moved the shells considerably faster than before. What had been the final flurry before was now the norm, and the new finale was a series of orbiting twists and strange stacks, The shuffle dragged on for nearly thirty seconds, and perspiration began to dampen the boy's forehead. The edges of the shells were warm from friction, when at last the boy set them back in line. The man stroked his chin for a moment, smoothing the thin hairs of his russet beard. You're fast, lad. You never leave anything up to chance, and that's admirable. You've got the makings of a thief, but here, it just makes you predictable. He pointed not to the shells. But to the boy's left hand. You never reloaded the bean, which means it's hidden between your ring and little fingers on your left hand." The boy didn't move a muscle. He just sat there staring unblinkingly at the shells still face down before him. Well, aren't you going to reveal the bean? Still, the boy remained motionless, frozen in shock and shame. I see. Well, I'll just be taking my winnings, the man said, scooping the coins towards him and stowing them away. You kids shouldn't be playing these games when you're not even players. He stood up brushing the dust off his rear. If you're looking to become one, then you can find me at the Ragged Flagon. Ask for Brynjolf. And with that, the red-haired stranger turned on his heel and left the waifs to the deepening shadows of the alley. The boy held out his left hand and splayed his fingers, letting the spotted bean clatter hollowly onto the crate. Damn it, he muttered. That's a whole day's work down the drain. Well, not entirely, Zack said and tossed three gold septums next to the shells. The boy stared uncomprehending at first, then looked rapidly from the coins to Zack. What? What? How? I lifted them while you were shuffling. I thought you said you couldn't lift gold. Normally I can't, but the stars aligned. He was distracted, sitting down, and already had plenty of gold on him. Besides, I wasn't about to let him take everything. This way we have enough to try something else another day. The boy was at a loss for words, so he just hugged his friend tightly, squeezing his frail form through the robe. Thank you, Absikar. Don't mention it. Are you hungry? Oh, I'm always hungry. We'll figure this out tomorrow. And so the two urchins packed up their shells and stole away into the dusk. In the black of night the orphanage sat, looking calm and tranquil from outside, save for the board nailed over one window. Inside, all was quiet, any sinister machinations put to bed for the time being. Beds in their rigid lines were filled with sleeping forms of various shapes and sizes, some under worn burlap covers, some choosing to brave the nip of night. It was in this silence the boy slithered, dropping silently out of the chimney and into the seldom-used fireplace. Grillod was not one to waste her money on firewood. "'You can only burn it once, then it's gone,' he remembered her saying. He stepped quietly into the room, eyes darting to all the corners. He crept along, the rows of beds making sure to duck beneath the shafts of misty moonlight that shone in from the unboarded windows. He crawled inch by inch under the beds till he came to the one he was looking for. He popped up and saw her, jol dark hair falling sloppily across her face as she slept drooling on that same nasty iron plate. She'd apparently fallen asleep still trying to turn it to gold. He watched the peace in her face, the beautiful absence of anxiety. This was how he always thought of her, before her eyes filled with worry, her forehead creased with apprehension, and her jaw set in fear. She was always strange. Any that found themselves in this orphanage were bound to be a little off. Jalel was every bit as adventurous as he was in the past, but it manifested in different ways. If he climbed a tree, she would talk to it. If he went for a swim, she'd look below and snatch at his ankles. If he picked a flower and folded it into a ring, she'd sneak up and bite it off his finger. She was a mystic and an imp, And he was more often than not asked to get her out of some absurd fix, but she was always there for him in the same way. Now to see her slowly losing herself to pain and terror in his absence, he knew that if he got no one else out of here, he'd get her out. He tried to think of some quiet yet tactful way of waking her up, but after a moment's fruitless thought, he settled on giving her a firm prod straight in the forehead. She snorted harshly as she came to. For a moment, that dread flashed into her eye at the dark shape before her. Then he spoke in hushed tones. It's me. Don't worry, it's me. She groaned, blinking at him before speaking just a little too loudly. Hey, what are you doing here? Shh. He inched closer to her face. I'm not supposed to be here. She looked annoyed, but lowered her voice. Yeah, that's why I asked, idiot. I'm here to talk to you. That much should be obvious, dummy!" Before he knew it, the boy's head and neck were wrapped up in Jalel's arms. The standard introductions had concluded, but this was a very unusual next step. He blinked as he was tightly squeezed and patted her awkwardly on the back. "'I'm sorry,' she breathed into his ears. "'I'm sorry I said you were like Grelod. I've been thinking about it all day and I didn't know if I would see you again and—' She swallowed thickly as if holding in a sob. "'You're not like her. You're a friend. You have always been my friend.'" The boy finally returned her squeeze and sucked in air, feeling some foreign emotion hit home. "'Like I said, that much should be obvious,' he chewed his tongue for a moment, then continued. "'And I'm sorry for leaving you here. I should have known she'd come after you next. You can't have known. This whole thing is just so—' She let go of him and brushed hair out of her face. I don't know the word. Inhumane, the boy offered. That might be it. It might be, yeah. Did you just come to check on me? Well, I mean, I did, but that's not a bad thing, is it? I guess not. She rolled up her sleeves and he saw the burn marks up and down her arms. I'm not doing great. He nodded and wished he had some frost salts or just cool water for her. But he didn't. I suppose we can talk about the others, if that's easier. Yeah, okay. Jalil nodded, laying her head back down on the folded cloth she was using as a pillow, making sure to move the plate under her woolen covers. She yawned quietly and stared at her own eyebrows in thought. No one's changed that much. Delson and Hialamar have kind of taken charge since you left. They argue a lot, but in the end they're just trying to keep Grelod happy. That's not possible, but they'll see soon. Elinon has been quiet as always. She does this thing where she bites Jazbay grapes in half and stares at the insides. It's a bit creepy. I'm sure that's what she thinks of your antics. But she's a good beggar, kind of surprising, actually. fella is a rock. I can't get a read on her. She's gotta have something up with her, right? She always seemed sturdy to me. I guess so, but I don't trust it. Her stormy gray eyes returned to him. And... In our group. That just leaves Absikar. He's been wandering more than usual, and I haven't seen him since he broke that window earlier today, so it's your turn then. She did this thing, sort of nuzzling her cheek into her improvised pillow. The motions stirred something in him. It was cute, like a mewing kitten. Where is he? She asked. He's staying with me. You have a place? Not really. There's some old netting caught up in the support beams under the third pier out by the dock. I've managed to turn it into a bit of a nest. Zack will sleep there with me. And tomorrow, we'll see if we can get him his own net set up. Assuming it doesn't rain on us. Hmm. The Breton girl's eyes seemed to grow heavy as she listened to him. Does that happen a lot? What's it like out there? Well, he began, licking his dry lips. It's, uh... Rough. I don't really eat as much as I used to. I maybe have one meal a day, but it's just picking at whatever I can get my hands on. I like fruit. We never got much fruit in here aside from the berries and we'd filch. I really like apples when I can get them. Have you ever had figs? No? I think they come from the east. They're really weird, but also good in a weird way. But apart from the fruit, there's not much to be said about the food. One day, I caught and ate four beetles raw. Jolelle smiled, eyes closed, and chuckled softly. That's so gross. You don't need to tell me, I'm the one that had to eat them. All in all, I'd say the biggest perk is freedom and the blanket. I found this sabercat hide that fell out of some merchant's cart, and that thing keeps me warm better than anything we ever had here, and it's way less itchy than the burlap. That sounds nice, she said sounding quieter and sleepier than before. She raised her own cover a little as if offering it. Come in here. I've got one of the good blankets. The boy felt himself flush again. I can't stay here tonight. I have to leave before I get caught. The girl pouted with bleary eyes. Fine. Keep talking for a bit, though. Okay. Sometimes, when I wake up, there's so much mist covering the lake, I can't even see the water below me. I like listening to the birds. They tend to wake me up before it really becomes light. Did you know there are so many kinds out there and you can tell them apart by their songs? I never really paid attention before. I don't beg. Mostly I lift coin and food when I can. There's this house on the south side of town that has a nice garden. I sometimes get stuff from there. I still go swimming at dusk. I don't bother with fish because I can't cook it anyway. But there's the shoal of bluegill bleaks that come by my nest sometimes and they shine like little diamonds under the water oh i um i got in a fight with a raccoon once the boy looked to the girl expecting another laugh but he saw that she had drifted back into slumber he reached into his pocket and fetched the three gold coins that Zack had given him joe wake up he poked her i'm awake she mumbled unconvincingly not opening her eyes look at your plate He said, arranging the coins on the iron. You did turn it to gold. See? Uh, It's beautiful. She slurred, still growing more inert. Zack and I have a plan. If we can get sixteen gold, then we can get all seven of us on a carriage and head in any direction we want for a day. Once we're out there, we can make it, as long as we stick together. We almost had enough, then we hit a snag. But don't worry. This time, she didn't respond. Joe. Joe. Look at the plate. Nothing, just the gentle breathing of an exhausted young girl. He weighed his options in his mind, thought about poking her again, but decided against it. Another snort might wake someone up, so he compromised. He placed a single gold piece on the plate, and tucked it back into her cover. Though he knew it was a dubious arrangement at best, he couldn't help but sit and watch her peaceful face, till the moons were high enough that their light left the windows. He returned to the fireplace and shimmied his way back into the city. The next morning, the boy lay in his net-woven hammock and saber cat pelt, listening to the gentle creaking of wood above and around him. Much of it was Zack rocking lazily beside him in his own improvised accommodations. They had managed to find some more netting. The thick stuff meant for boarding and moving cargo. It wasn't as comfortable as his finer trawl net, but they did find a weather-beaten coat that someone had left out for the taking on a washing line in their backyard. It wouldn't be missed, they assured each other. The boy knew that they'd have to be on the lookout for any wayside thing that could improve their little bivouac beneath the third pier. The wayside, he had emphasized to Zack, was their marketplace. It was a clear morning by the standards of the lake, and the hazy blue of the sky peeked in at them from between the gaps in the floorboards. They were sharing a breakfast consisting of the pouch of salted nuts they were passing back and forth between them. The nuts were a mix of peanuts and the roasted seeds of a gourd. It was the remnants of their dinner from the previous night. Just as the bag was making its treacherous journey over the sloshing water for the dozenth time, a single nut shook loose and plummeted into the water. Oh, be careful! You dropped one! Oh, did I? The boy asked, rolling over slightly and peering down at the tiny floating food nugget. Zack crunched away at the nuts for a few moments, then made to hand the bag back to his friend. But the boy was still staring pensively down at the bobbing morsel. "'What are you looking at?' the Khajiit asked. "'Just hang on,' the boy held up a hand. "'Something's going to take it.' "'Like what?' "'Don't know.' Now they were both watching with bated breath, waiting for the conclusion to the inconsequential drama before them. A minute passed, and then another. The peanut bobbed this way and that with the waves of the lake. Finally, when the Khajiit had just about had enough, a smooth, lithe shape swam up, and with a flash of bronze lips and the slap of a tail, the peanut was gone, along with the fish that took it. Zack looked to his companion expectantly. So what was that? Huh? Oh... I don't know. Well, that's not very satisfying. The boy shrugged noncommittally. We barely saw it, do you want me to guess? Yeah, I kinda want you to guess. Uh, It was a... It was a grayling salmon. How can you tell? The color was right, and they have that really big fin on their back. I didn't see a fin. Well, Of course not, you told me to guess. Zack flicked a seed at him. Hey! Don't be wasteful! You dropped the peanut! There you are!" Both their heads whipped in the direction of this third voice. The newcomer was a young Redguard boy, perhaps a year older than the pair, hanging upside down over the lip of the pier. His ratty, tangled hair he wore in short dreadlocks was swinging below his scowling face. His clothes were not impressive, but they were so well-kept they still had some of their original color. His eyes were hazel green, his nose was broad, and he was ruddy brown like clay. A faint fog was billowing out of his nose as he panted, signaling to the pair he'd been running. The boy held out his arms. Hey, Dell, Welcome to the Saber's Nest! I suppose you think that sounds cool? I do think it sounds cool. So do I, Zack chimed in. Whatever. Dell shook his head. Look, where's Joe? The boy blinked and looked to Zack, who only shrugged. Jollel? You'd know better than me. What does Grellad have you doing today? You really think I'd be here if it was that simple? She wasn't in her bed this morning. No one has seen heads nor tails of her all day. What did you do? The boy sat up in his makeshift hammock, the beams around him creaking as he did. What did I do? What do you mean, what did I do? I saw you leaving last night. What did you tell her? Zack stared at him. You went back last night? The boy felt suddenly caught between two pairs of eyes. Well, yeah, but all I told her was that we're trying to get you all out. Zack and I are hustling, and once we get sixteen gold, we're all leaving the city. Oh, and everyone agreed to this plan? No, but I... It's not like you're coming up with anything. How would you know? You're never around. I'm the one that has to pick up the pieces. I can't be around. Is that not clear? By the lake, all I did was try to give her hope and—and— The boy paused, like someone who knew they were about to step in a bear trap. I did give her a gold piece. You what? It was Zack's turn to sit up in his bedding. I was being sweet, you know? Turning her plate to gold. He could feel his ears going red. It's just one gold. It's not like she can go anywhere with it. You said she needed two gold if she was going to go by herself. Yeah, but not if she can convince someone to let her in on a fresh commission. Okay, but what are the odds of that? It's Joe. Yeah, Delson interjected. A young girl and experienced beggar. The boy didn't breathe for a moment. Dread settled in his chest, cold and jagged. Then, in an explosion of motion, he scrambled out from under the dock using handholds he'd whittled himself. He blew past Delson, who fell back out of the way. By the time Zack had climbed out as well, the boy was already scaling the outer wall of the city. Back into the world of grey wood walls and black roofs they went, dashing for the north gate with all the haste they could muster. The boy led the way in a blind panic with Zack close at his heels, fighting hard to keep himself covered as he went. Delson was no slower than the two vagabonds, but he was lagging behind significantly, as he was a much less experienced street rat. They leapt roofs, ducked carts, and hurtled barrels, paying no heed to any cries or shouts they elicited. Zack suspected that at one point a suspecting guard had taken up the chase, but the boy had lost them without ever really knowing they were there. Before long, the tall, blocky façade of the north gate was looming ahead of them. The boy jumped from a barrel to a signpost up onto an awning before tightroping across a banner line and diving into the parapets to the sound of startled guards. Heeding nothing, he ducked a table and hopped over the wall where he knew torch grates were waiting as handholds for his descent. Landing outside the gate, he saw no carriages waiting, being readied, or unloading. Only an odd, forked aspen tree and the soft, worn dirt that led off to the stables. He spun on the pair of outer gate guards who were making a cautious advance. "'Have any carriages left today?' he demanded. "'Now calm down, young one.' said one of them with a kind condescension. Whatever you stole, I'm sure we can let you off with a light beating. No need to make this hard on anyone. I haven't stolen anything, the boy insisted, and looked to the other guard. Was there a carriage today? Did anyone hire? Maybe there was, maybe there wasn't, but it can't help you now, the other guard sneered. The boy stepped forward, clutching at the hem of the guard's sash. Please! His advance was met with the studded back of the guard's hand. Keep those filthy rat paws off me! The guard shouted as the boy fell back, clutching his bloody nose. Keep him there, said the first guard, stepping away. I'll grab the small manacles. Wait! Zack cried in his best human voice as he vaulted down from the lookout, conspicuously not using any hold to slow his fall. Someone's gone missing! Did you see a girl? Hey, Gregor! Called a third guard from a small door next to the broad front gate. I've got a boy here from the orphanage. Says a little girl's gone missing. Have you seen any leave on a carriage? Delson's sweaty face peeked out from behind the guard's elbow. The two guards looked at each other sheepishly, realizing they'd misread the situation. Uh, yeah, the second one began. A couple carriages were commissioned at first light. Three merchants, a geezer, a couple strong arms to guard their horde. They had a... there was a girl in that cart too, wasn't there? The first one nodded. Yeah, she had, uh, dark hair and bulgy eyes. Ugly little thing, I thought. <laughs> Where, Where'd they go? The boy choked, voice hoarse and ragged from his sprint across the city. They took the North Road to the City of Kings. Straight shot via Kynesgrove in the rift. You have to stop them! It's no good, lad. They'll be all the way to Shorestone by the end of the day. We could send a pigeon! Maybe, but it'd take a couple hours to get it airborne because we'd have to The take boy it back wasn't to the listening anymore. He was down. running out away from the gate to the first ridgeline that looked north. He saw the golden woods waving like liquid amber, and the jagged peaks peppering the landscape like thorns on a rose. He saw the northward slope that descended into the rift, the yawning mouth of the wilds. He heard the light footsteps behind him as his friends ran up alongside him. As he stared, maybe it was the wind in his eye, but he swore he saw something in the trees up ahead, way out there, some small shape moving steadily along. "'I think she's gone,' panted Delson. "'No, I'm going after her.' "'No, you're not! You'd never survive the wild! Look at you, you're already bleeding!' Joe. The boy called, hearing his voice get taken by a breeze and bounced off a rocky face. In the woods, his cries would be dampened by the trees, but up here, there was a chance he could reach her. Gemma! He screamed. The hollow echo came back, and he felt strength leave him for grief. Zack, help me with him, the red guard boy sighed. And he felt his friend's hands clasp his shaking shoulders and gently lead him back to the gate. With each step, he grew lower and lower, the ground reaching up to him, swallowing his legs and hips. It wasn't until he was sunk in up to his chest that he started to panic. He tried to press his hands against the ground, but his friends were pushing him in with irresistible force. The dirt and weeds bubbled and roiled as they washed over him, and he was engulfed. The water pushing from all sides, the pressure in his head was unbearable. Suddenly, there was a pop, and something behind his right ear. Some part of his skull shifted back into place. His body convulsed as it was racked with a piercing pain. Then, he felt cool tiles settle against his back, and the water slowly receded from around his form. He gasped in air and choked violently, but several pairs of hands held him down. The hunter blinked rapidly, trying to take in his surroundings. In the dim light, he saw arching green swirls and sweeping patterns in the wood above him. Was he in a temple? All around him were hooded faces watching him with shadowed eyes. He felt their hands pinching at him lightly as if checking for something. Those hands were warm, though the water was cold. He registered his own nudity, but disregarded it. He only hoped that he wouldn't have to stitch his furs back together like last time. His head was being held lightly in a soft pair of hands. He glanced up to see a matronly face looking back at him with a smile. You gave us quite the scare, they said. Took us some time to find that crack in your skull, but it's healing nicely. Just then, a familiar grizzled face came into view. Bracknell smiled down at him with his typical crooked grin you know i meant it when i said that women find scars attractive but this he ran a finger down his own right eye i think you might be taking it a bit too far Thank you for listening to this episode of the Skyrim Audio Adventure. I'd like to once again thank Ariella Dahlin for providing the voice to Carlotta, as well as Brenda Schmid and David McRoberts, who helped me out with some background vocals and various folly exercises. If you're a fan of the show and want to help it grow, then why not lend your voice? Many chapters are going to have interesting little bit roles in them if you're interested, or maybe just some background dialogue. If you'd like to hear yourself on this show, then reach out to me on my Patreon, and we can work something out. I've reached 200 subscribers, which is kind of crazy, considering considering how this all started, and in fact, what this is. It's such a bizarre niche thing, I really cannot fathom. And also, just cannot thank you enough for giving this show and this channel the support that you have. I'd really like to do some kind of 200 subscriber special, but I can't for the life of me think of what to do. So if you have any suggestions, then go ahead and leave them in the comments. I do read those. I just sometimes don't reply until I'm done with the project that I'm currently working on, and then I'll take some time after I upload my latest episode to reply, which is probably what I'm about to do now. And once again, thanks for listening.